Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Has the compliance officer's role changed in 2018? That's the question for today. What got me to thinking about this had a lot to do with a presentation that I had spoken about in the prior podcast that I put on with Dean Timothy Glenn uh, from Seton Hall University Law School just last week. Uh, that was titled The Relationship Between Ethics and Compliance in Business. But a big part of that, obviously, is the role of the compliance officer. The other thing that got me thinking about it was some news that was released also last week about the compliance officer from ZTE, which is a giant Chinese telecommunications organization. Um, and the news that they had thrown their compliance officer slash chief legal officer under the bus uh, based on some continued violations of uh, an agreement that they had with the Commerce Department here in the United States. So it brought back to the headlines, as VW did last year, the notion of the compliance officer actually getting into trouble him or herself, uh, which is something that obviously we all want to avoid, uh, but also something that we really haven't talked about much up until the last couple of years. So it sort of begs the question, has the compliance officer's role changed? Are the expectations different? Uh, is it a different world that we're in here in 2018 than maybe we were before? And that's the question I wanted to pose for today and talk about for the next few minutes. I think ultimately the answer is yes, the role is changing. But it's changing because the expectations for compliance for an organization are changing. It's changing because there are greater expectations for training, communication, monitoring, auditing, resources just generally for an organization overall. So therefore, the person or persons responsible for the program uh, have a greater responsibility than they would have had uh, 10 or 15 years ago or even five years ago in most cases. So yes, the role is changing. I think that's uh, a, 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 a explicit fact for, for most compliance officers. But, but what does that mean? How are things changing? Well, I think there's three key areas that I want to talk about that I see uh, where these changes are most evident. The first is clearly expectations and expectations from our stakeholders. And you can start at the very top of the organization. I talk to a lot of compliance officers and I talk to a fair number of directors uh, and the questions and the um, uh, requests that are coming from the board of directors, from the audit committee of the board of directors or the compliance committee or whatever subdivision of the board of directors is ultimately responsible for compliance at your organization, those uh, queries, those questions, the need for information, the need for contact uh, and, relate, and, and to have a relationship with, with that board is much, much greater than it was five years ago. Uh, it was not uncommon when I first started uh, talking to organizations and doing assessments six or seven years ago. It was not uncommon to find a organization where the person with the day-to-day -day responsibility for the program may not have 
ever had any direct contact with the board of directors. I like to think, I could be wrong, but I like to think that the changes that were made in 2010 to the sentencing guideline standards about that relationship between the compliance officer or the person or persons responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the program, as is defined in the U.S. sentencing guidelines, I like to think that the changes that were made in 2010 that, that I uh, was a part of uh, have had some, you know, at least some effect on uh, uh, burnishing that, that uh, change and, and, and creating that stronger relationship. But certainly, uh, along with having that access, the flip side of having access is expectation. And boards of directors uh, and, and, and the executives of the organization, for that matter, uh, whether they're on the board or not, uh, now want to know uh, what's going on with the program. How are you measuring the success of the program? Uh, what are the risks uh, for the program? What, uh, what are your expectations uh, for future projects? What are, what are you trying to get done? Uh, what are your plans to get that accomplished with no budget? Uh, what, these are questions that you're going to constantly find uh, coming your way. And, and that's been true uh, for, for many compliance officers for a long time, particularly in highly regulated spaces. But it's more and more true uh, for organizations of all sizes in all industries that you now have an engaged board of directors. But those aren't the only stakeholders that are holding you accountable as a compliance officer these days. Uh, certainly, I see more and more engagement from the public that, that, that is specific to compliance, uh, whether that's uh, a more organized element like institutional shareholders that are asking questions around compliance and the effectiveness of compliance, or whether that's the general expectations of the public at large. A perfect example here would be data security and data privacy over the last couple of years. Uh, there's an expectation uh, from the general public, from consumers, that uh, organizations are going to take reasonable efforts to keep the data, your data safe, particularly if you're a consumer. Um, this has also been true, we've seen over the last year, year and a half, uh, around the issue of harassment. There's been a lot of questions around uh, not only how uh, individual cases have been handled, but what's uh, an organization doing to be proactive about stopping harassment, investigating harassment, and training around harassment. As I record this on April the 23rd, just a couple days ago, uh, uh, you, you know, a perfect example of a, a company sort of in real time responding to uh, a comp a comp uh, stakeholders wondering about compliances, um, uh, Starbucks uh, taking a whole day to train their uh, employees and all their, their company-owned stores uh, around uh, unconscious bias. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a real uh, impact by the from the expectations of stakeholders in the general public that I don't think you really saw 10 years ago. Um, you know, you may have seen flare-ups here and there on specific issues and expectations around compliance on specific issues, but this is something uh, that is new, this notion that uh, corporate actors, that organizational actors are going to respond to issues, they're going to have compliance, uh, 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 compliance resources in place, and they're going to respond to the public's concerns. So as, a stake as stakeholders become more vocal, uh, there has 
obviously been the need for the compliance officer or those responsible for compliance to adjust and make sure that that's part of your calculus. Uh, obviously, the other important stakeholders here are the employees and other uh, third parties that um, are, are ultimately directly impacted by your compliance program. Uh, we see more and more employees uh, taking advantage of uh, uh, resources like reporting mechanisms, taking advantage of training, taking advantage of other resources. Uh, that's all to the good, but that obviously means much more interaction with that, uh, uh, with that stakeholder group than perhaps compliance officers had in the past. Uh, more demands on your resources, uh, more than anything. Uh, if you are responsible uh, in your organization for training, uh, or at least training on a certain portion of the training docket uh, around compliance or compliance-related issues, uh, that job has gotten much more complicated over the last few years as the expectations around training and regular communication and formal communication around compliance issues have become much stronger, a much more uh, a higher expectation, a higher bar to hit. So uh, you're getting hit from all sides here. You're getting hit from outside the organization, from uh, shareholders and stakeholders like the general public. Uh, you're getting hit internally by uh, employees and others who need uh, your ex expertise, uh, your uh, management of the resources for training and other uh, aspects of the program, and you have uh, the supervision of the board of directors and the other executives. So I think that's a big change. Um, uh, now again, uh, there have been some organizations where that's always been the case. You've you've always had a lot of a lot of uh, heads looking over your shoulder, a lot of eyes peering over your shoulder, wondering uh, what you're doing. But uh, I think that that is more and more the case for a larger proportion of those responsible for compliance, and that's not likely to change anytime soon. I think the expectations are only going to grow, and as the expectations grow, uh, organizations and uh, compliance officers need to make sure that they have the resources in place to meet those expectations to the best ability, uh, best way they can. Uh, I think uh, another uh, way that the role has changed, and this is also reflected in some of the, the things that we've seen over the last few years, the, the, the kind of more high profile incidents, but also the general change in, in, in how the uh, role is perceived, is that there's this expectation that there's a higher duty that the compliance officer has, that the chief compliance officer or chief compliance and ethics officer has, that is not necessarily related to a legal function. Now, we've had discussions in the past on this podcast and elsewhere, and we'll have them in the future. And I will admit that I am not one of those people, still not one of those people that believes that every organization must have a completely separate compliance pro program or, or resource from the legal resource, because that doesn't work for for every organization, and there's a very good reason why. Uh, for instance, for instance, the sentencing guidelines don't specify a particular um, type of organization or structure around this, uh, particularly for small organizations. Um, you know that is not going to make sense. Uh, you know some organizations are so small they don't even have internal legal resources, so the person ultimately responsible for compliance is probably an HR or maybe some other operational function, and they're going to have they're going to have many uh, responsibilities. And slightly larger organizations may uh, have a legal officer that also has a compliance role, 
uh, but they are not big enough or, or their structure is not such that they need to have a separate compliance role. Now, that's not what I'm saying here. But uh, the change that I see uh, is, again, around expectations and this notion that who, whomever holds that role, that the compliance role is fundamentally different from being the, the company's lawyer. And in particular, uh, this higher duty uh, to um, uh, uh, make sure that if there has been a violation of the law or some other misconduct, that that is, needs to be handled in a transparent way rather than in a uh, traditional litigation <laughs> uh, preparation uh, 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 perspective that you might see from the company's lawyer. Um, I think those, uh, you know, the, the, the argument that is often made is that it's impossible be, to be the chief legal officer of the organization and the chief compliance officer because of that potential conundrum that you might be faced with a situation where as the co company's chief lawyer, uh, the best practice in that situation would be to batten down the hatches and, and proceed in a certain direction. Whereas if you are the chief compliance officer, daylight is the best antiseptic uh, and uh, being transparent and trying to resolve those issues transparently is the best way to go. Um, I think that uh, there are certainly circumstances where that might come up. Um, are those circumstances only um, law, sc law school exam questions? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that there are some real world examples where this um, conflict can really uh, come up. Now, does that mean that uh, pre preemptively you need to split these operations? No, but I need you. To, I think I think the change necessitates you thinking about what you would do in that circumstance. If you are the chief legal officer and you also are the chief compliance officer, maybe you need to have uh, put some thought to what you do if there is a conflict between your two roles and how it's handled. Whether you bring in somebody from the outside or maybe there's an assistant general counsel who could take over the role, sort of like uh, uh, our current attorney general recused himself from the Russia investigation. Maybe you need to be able to recuse yourself uh, from a compliance investigation if there's a potential conflict between your role as the uh, as the chief legal officer of the organization. I don't know. Uh, I don't think, that, again, just as there's no one-size-fits-all approach that works for the structure of the organization, I don't think there's any one-size-fits-all approach that would work in that circumstance. But I think it's worth thinking about because uh, you don't want to uh, uh, be confronted with that situation and not have, um, uh, not have contemplated how you would handle it. Um, so that is a big change. I think 10, 15 years ago, uh, the compliance duty and the legal duty were, uh, for most organizations, not all, but for most organizations, was so fundamentally entwined, you couldn't really see the difference. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that there's an understanding that these are different roles. And um, while I still hold out and I still maintain that an individual can, can be responsible for both of those roles, I think that the difference this day, these days is that if you hold both of those roles, you, you should have given some thought to the notion of what you might do if a potential conflict arises between the two roles. And then the, the last thing that is pretty apparent to me that is a big change uh, here in 2018 versus maybe five or 10 years ago 
is this, uh, this the, the prominence, if you will, of the compliance role within the organization and the uh, uh, increased likelihood that stakeholders are going to look to you as the font of wisdom, uh, as the example for compliance uh, in the organization. One of the things that the Department of Justice is really keen on, uh, and this comes out of uh, the uh, changes to the sentencing guidelines, but also uh, memoranda that have come out from the Department of Justice in the last few years and other regulatory agencies, is this notion of stature for the compliance office within the organization. That you have to have a certain stature or visibility in the organization. The compliance function has to have that stature or uh, visibility to effectively uh, conduct your role as the chief compliance officer. Uh, I think more and more organizations have realized that. that you have uh, compliance officers that have a, a bully pulpit or at least a pulpit uh, to uh, 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 communicate to the wider enterprise in a way that perhaps they didn't five or ten years ago. Probably the trendsetter here uh, was Kathleen Edmond, who was the uh, chief compliance officer at Best Buy, who ha very famously had her own blog, uh, which uh, was well read not only by people uh, from Best Buy, but from um, those of us that were interested in compliance in the public at large. But uh, you know that that was uh, that was a few years ago. But I think that uh, just generally speaking, when I peer into organizations these days, the profile of compliance officers is definitely different than it was a few years ago. Uh, if you were to um, pick uh, an average person off the street, probably still in 2018, the majority of them will have no idea what a compliance officer does. But but uh, it would probably be a significantly higher percentage, a ge geometrically higher percentage than would have known 10 years ago. Um, you know, the, 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 the profile of the compliance officer within individual organizations and just generally is much different than it used to be. And I think that's all to the good. And that's a big change. And that's a good change. So, uh, you know, just thinking about it, uh, again, uh, this kind of came out of the, the webinar we had last week. Uh, but also uh, some of the more recent headlines. I think it's worth uh, taking a minute and sort of thinking how things have changed, uh, both with, within your organization and within the profession. Um, and as I said, I think it's worthwhile to consider those stakeholders, uh, both what their expectations are on the front end um, uh, and what, uh, what uh, uh, how you fulfill that role of maybe being a uh, a high profile, uh, you know, the highest profile individual with regards to compliance in the organization. And then also um, uh, making sure that uh, you've contemplated your duties, uh, if particularly if you have multiple duties that include uh, the chief legal officer or some legal function, and, and what that means uh, moving forward for the compliance function at your organization. I think those are all worthwhile things to consider. I think it's more than a philosophical exercise. I think it's a practical exercise, thinking about what the role is and how it's changed. I think there's no doubt it's changed. I think there's no doubt it's changed, and it will continue to change. And, and that's uh, interesting, but also, uh, uh, while interesting also means that we need to pay attention, and particularly those of you who have that role on a daily basis need to pay attention to how it's changed and what the, how the expectations have changed so that you can adapt to it. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, as always, if you have questions, concerns, comments, please, please, please do get in touch with us. 
Uh, you can find ways to do that at compliancebeat.com or moreheadconsulting.com. Uh, we're going to have some more interesting uh, events coming up here in the not-too-distant future. I'm not quite ready to uh, give you the particulars, but tune in next week. Uh, I think I'll have some announcements on a couple upcoming webinars that ought to be very interesting and free. So please uh, check back in with us next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.